0: Welcome to another episode of the Finance and Property Survival Guide. My name is Damien. I'm a 24-year-old based in Melbourne, Australia. When I finished high school, I felt like a lot of my education left out the important things that I needed most going forward. Stuff like getting a mortgage, budgeting for big purchases, and investing were never talked about or explained in any great detail. I want the Survival Guide to serve as the middleman for anyone looking to learn about finance and property. Each week, I'll endeavor to speak to and learn from some of those within the industry to help break down the details of the finance and property sector. Today on the show, it's an episode of the advice I'd give my 24-year-old self, and my guest is Scott McLennan. Scott is the head of distribution for Charter Hall Investing. They are what's called a RIT, a real estate investment trust. Um, I'm going to let Scott explain all the details of what Charter Hall is, uh, how it pertains to investing, and why it's a good asset class. So because I didn't really understand it until he explained it better to me as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I find it really informative and I'm looking forward to having Scott on again soon. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. Today on the show, uh, Scott McLennan, who's the head of distribution for sh- uh, Charter Hall Investment, is uh, is joining me. How are you, Scott? Very
1: well, Damien. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm not too bad. We were just talking off air about the ever-changing COVID situation. So taking it as it comes as you're in Sydney at the moment. So hopefully it all works out as it does, but only time will tell, I guess.
1: Yeah, we absolutely are. You just said it. We're taking it as it comes. Uh, it's been a long journey, but I think uh, all of us are sort of um, bunkered down now. We know what's uh, coming and we know what to expect and we've been very, very fortunate. So, um, a lot, you know, a lot of gratitude with the way things have been handled here, but
0: um, we've got some way to go. So, yeah, we'll see how things play out this week. I thought we'd start with just a brief introduction because... I would go out to assume that a lot of listeners might not even know who Charter Hall is. But if we can begin with who you are and what you sort of do within the investment and property industry.
1: Yeah, that's true. Actually, um, when I moved to Charter Hall, um, which just for those listeners that are out there, Charter Hall is is an investment manager. Um, They invest um, on behalf of third party capital. So we're one of Australia's largest landlords. And, um, you know, our specialty is really in the commercial real estate space. And which is an area that has been, um, you know, invested very heavily from institutions, large institutions and uh, superannuation funds and <clears throat> what we call sovereign wealth funds. It's often been very hard to access for a retail investor, so mum and dads or people that are high net worth. It's really been um, a, really a doyen or an area that's really been, um, had a lot of focus from the institution. So our role really at Charter Hall and my, uh, my business that I work in is called Charter Hall Direct. Is to open those gates, open those that access for people to actually invest in commercial real estate, um, which is slightly different to, of course, the, you know, the phenomena or the, the the love affair Australians have in investing in residential real estate, as we all know.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, my
1: role is then to 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 play in that space. So we uh, we facilitate the ability for um, investors through advisors and uh, direct investors to be able to invest in our funds. So we um, we have a, a lot of assets that we run and manage. Uh, and we are, again, as I mentioned before, we run these on behalf of other people. So we're just, we're an asset manager, investment manager. Um, so we acquire assets, we manage assets, uh, we sell assets. Um, we also add value to those assets, which is in, increasingly improving the returns for our uh, investors, much the same way as companies uh, improve the the shareholder value for their shareholders. We're we're improving the value all the time for our investors, which are, are called unit holders in our in our tr- various trusts that we run.
0: Okay, and and I, I was doing some research, and we spoke about it off air, uh, off air as well. You're the landlord for places like Woolworths, Coles, Dan Murphy's, and much others like big shopping centres and things like that. Is that correct? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. There are areas that we we want to we effectively align ourselves um, and see ourselves very much as partners. When we own the asset, then it's very, very critical for us to ensure that the um the operating model is is a strong one. It's a, it's a strong business in a very, very strong, resilient industry. And that really is the best protection for us in terms of again us you know, talking to about our investors. Um, we really are the, the purveyor of their capital. We, we're there to protect their capital. So protecting uh, the the asset not just the asset but obviously making sure we make the right selection of, te- of tenants uh, in good industries and as you mentioned Coles Woolworth, Woolworths and Aldi groups like that are particularly resilient um, and we've seen uh, I guess a good stress test through the COVID period where a lot of those uh, groups were uh, you know um, though you could say had a very aggressive growth strategies um, the movement to online uh, which has been a phenomenon we've been able to partner with some of these groups in actually being able to build new technologies, um, new warehouse logistics centers, so they can increase their online distribution capabilities. Um, And that's um, that's been a huge growth area for Charter Hall. We have about 50% of the online grocery market, um, and uh, we're very early into that space. But we were able to do that because we do see ourselves partnering with groups like that. We have to bring various skill sets and value add to what we do. uh, And um, we can take that out to groups like that to help them expand, help them grow, so we're very pivotal in their, uh, I suppose, their growth trajectory, mm-hmm. but also pivotal in being able to develop and grow uh, the assets that they need to to build business efficiencies and supply chain efficiencies in their businesses.
0: Well, it sounds like um, COVID was probably a good time to show that Charter Hall could evolve in a lot of ways, right? Because a lot of... I was living in a regional city um, before I moved down to Melbourne and some areas of the shopping centre I would go to were quite like quiet there wasn't a lot going on other parts of the shopping centre would still be uh, growing and going well like the supermarket areas but it sounds like Charter Hall rolled with the punches a little bit it sounds like maybe evolved with time and helped sort out the uh, the online part of it that grew through COVID.
1: Look, I think, um, I'll probably take a step back here. We have implemented different strategies and and very strong sort of defensive mechanisms in our funds since um, GFC uh, was a great lesson learned. Um, As businesses evolve, those that stay uh, alive, those that continue to thrive, they are very, very good at learning their lessons and implementing those uh, defensive mechanisms into their processes. Right. Um, a lot of things we'll learn from there, uh, particularly the way in which um, the financial structures and gearing of these particular funds uh, are run. Um, the idea that we need longer leases to really, really strong tenants um, and that we needed to be picking, uh, we need to pick and choose and be very selective at who we partner with. I think that was key. And that in some cases will, mean we won't grow as, as quickly as yeah. as other groups, but, but long and steady, Um, low and slow those kind of concepts really are just what what we we did now when we came to covid we were very very well prepared and uh, we're prepared to back ourselves Uh, we didn't hold back we had a lot of firepower because our own balance sheet uh, was particularly conservatively uh, geared for us to get on opportunities Uh, and that's really again comes down to I guess just thinking about in basic investing uh, fundamentals obviously keeping some powder dry for for when markets tend to retreat and where opportunities are. And and those opportunities came for us. So so I would say it was more a process of of, many, many years, 28, 30 years in the market, things that we've learned and that we've implemented and that we continue to have more of a sustainable long-term view of our business model. And it was a great stress test because we came through uh, very well. We didn't have everything go our way. Uh, There was some complexities that we just could not have foreseen. Um, particularly in things like office where, you know, office workers were immediately working from home. Um, but we were very quick to be able to work with our partners. Once again, it's a partnership. We knew where things were going. We understood their business models um, because we're so close to them. We, we understand where their, their risks lie. Um, and that's, that comes down to our integrated model approach. So we've got a, a, an approach where we do our own asset management. We do everything ourselves. Uh, we don't outsource um, many of the uh, of of the functions um, and therefore we can get a sense of when people will return to office Um, even our uh, initial sort of I guess bullish nature about office we were sort of first to talk that uh, to our investors Mm. Um, and there was a lot of um, you know uh, still I I suppose a lot of people concerned about whether or not we were um, really seeing you know we we were going to see that return to office and we were very confident that, that that would take place that uh, for various reasons and over various cycles and again our own experience tells us that people need to uh, uh, react and they need to also um, collaborate with other people um, and that the city centres are an integral function but that we would go to a more flexible model and that's where we are today
0: the evolution to becoming more of like a mix of work from home and office visits is really interesting it's going to be cool to see how it like progresses especially in Melbourne where the CBDs, um, it's slowly coming back to normal, which is good. I wanted to quickly ask if this is like a fair, I guess, representation of what Charter Hall and other real estate investment trusts offer. When I think about how you were saying it earlier that Australians really love property investing, it's something that's quite popular. I think about investing in property as an individual, it's a bit stressful. You have to build up a deposit to be able to apply for a loan. You have to have a solid income. Then you've got to buy a house in a place that's going to have good growth. So hopefully the house goes up in value and you want to make sure your rent that you're getting from a tenant is helping to pay off the mortgage or you're going to have more stress. Is it fair to say that Charter Hall and other uh, RITS they basically do all of the stressful bits for you? and you can just invest in shares in some of these rents to, to, to get the returns without all the stress. Is that sort of That's a fair? Bear- pretty close, pretty yeah, close. Right. If
1: you think about it, if we just wrapped up, a. if you wanted to get a, an investment and you wanted to be involved in, in residential, what we're trying to do is give you, you can have small allocations to many, many different parts. So buying a house extremely capital intensive, um, you effectively got an allocation to one area one location one street
0: yeah Uh,
1: and that's going to cost you a fairly sizable chunk of capital if for example you wanted to invest in four or five different houses but you just wanted to spread that hundred thousand dollars let's just use that as an example and you wanted to spread that into say 10 different areas so what we're doing is giving the opportunity to be able to invest small parcels into many different I guess you could call it sectors or many different geographical locations um, as as little as ten thousand dollars right so Um, It doesn't mean you need to gear up. It doesn't mean uh, you need to do anything. We do all the asset management. Again, as you mentioned, the heavy lifting, we acquire the asset, we manage the asset, um, and we collect the rent, and we pass it through effectively after various costs are taken out. Um, And we manage that asset very well. That's what we're paid to do. Um, That's our, I suppose you'd call it, that's our pedigree. Um, And so if we don't do that well, we won't manage assets, and people won't invest with us. So we're very aligned to the end customer, which is our investor and our advisors who obviously advise those investors. So all that is, is allowing people, as I mentioned before, access to a different market, a market that is less emotional. I think I probably want to just unpack that a little bit. Residential is an extremely emotional purchase. Um, quite often, you know, uh, residential properties can trade and transact and invest on really low yields because people see the value of the land or they, they merely see the, the, um, the personal piece, I guess, the emotional buy, and it's, so it's a very different marketplace. Um, you know, you often go to markets or you'll go to auctions uh, where, you know, they they really, uh, and, it, and we're seeing that phenomena at the moment where things are trading much, much beyond their fundamentals. Um, commercial real estate is much more fundamental. Um, the emotion is quite often taken out of it. Um, people, things trade much the same way as institutions look at things. They trade on a yield or what they call a capitalization rate and they sell on the same basis. There isn't a lot of emotion in it. Maybe a little bit, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's a less emotional purchase. So, so that's that's how I would sort of describe or unpack the the two different types of asset classes. But really, what we're doing is giving access at very small levels. So, you know, young people who are investing today, um, if they can't, uh, for example, own a house or they don't um, can't get onto that residential property market, um, some of those are looking to commercial real estate as a way of earning good returns and good income.
0: Yeah. Okay. Part of the show, like we talked about off there, is... The advice you give your 24 year old self something I'm trying to do with this show is talk to people like yourself that's been in the industry and had quite a lot of experience to sort of be a bit of a sponge because I know that if I can learn the most I can about everybody's lessons so I can avoid the same pitfalls and mistakes I'll be much better off for it I believe so that's sort of the the aim of the show I wondered if we could talk about that knowing what you know now what advice do you think you would give yourself or a 24 year old knowing what you know now about life and and business i guess
1: yeah of course well i've got three children uh, i've got a 14 year old a 12 year old and a six year old so it won't be far away uh, or not long before i'm having to actually have this conversation to a to a 24 year old uh son daughter um so i suppose i just sort of um see that in the same light look um the, the core principles haven't changed, even though the market and jobs market is very, very different. Um, I think we're always going to be good at the things that we're the most passionate about, the things that we love, but how do we find out those things? I mean, I think the term talent isn't used enough today, uh, what we need to do is be very inquisitive while we're young and really trying, try to, to, to try as many things as we can and be honest with ourselves about where our talent lies. Um, quite often we want to be something or be somebody, but um, we probably won't be the best at it if, if it's not where our true talent really lies. Um, so I think that's a key point is, is that that really deep down honesty. I think I would stage um, you know, what, what we're doing. I think most people, I was always encouraged to get a base degree. Uh, I did a Bachelor of Commerce degree at Bond University on the Gold Coast. I was one of the first students there. So people were prepared to take a risk. I think when you look back, Um, I've probably taken calculated risks all the way along, but in many ways it needed to follow the chapters in my life, the story that I wanted to write. I wanted to write my own story. And I I would advise people to do that, be prepared also to to close a chapter and move on. Jobs aren't for life anymore. You know, our parents grew up in an era where in many ways they, they got their first job out of university and they were probably still there, you know, when they retired, my father was a school teacher So he was very typical of somebody who believed in, you know, get that job and it's a job for life. Um, It couldn't have been more untrue in my experience. You know, I've had eight or nine different roles over my career, 28 years in the industry. And I've also changed industries. So I started off life as a chartered accountant. I did my base degree. Once I, I realized that and I was being honest with myself, I needed to close a chapter and move on. And part of that was my journey to travel overseas uh, and and work in a different, uh, I suppose, uh, you know, different uh, country, uh, and and that really um, opened my eyes to different opportunities. And uh, I wouldn't wait for your employer to make the opportunity. In many ways, as I said, I'd write your own chapter. Be prepared to move on and stage your next, you know, the next chapter of your life, your career, um, and that must fit in with your personal endeavors. You know, whether you wish to have family one day, or whether you wish to reside in Australia. I mean, it was always going to be uh, my decision to, to, to want to reside in Australia and 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 do good things for the country that gave me so much. Um, so they were important sort of features of, of where I wanted to go. So I would just say, you know, my to my children as well, I would, I would be encouraging them to, to find their talent, their true talent, uh, be inquisitive, there's knowledge everywhere, as you are now. Uh, you're gaining so much knowledge out of just you know, running these podcasts with different people. Um, You don't need, you know, universities are important um, places of, you know, really strong historical uh, and theoretical places of networking as well. But there's people out here that can give you, you know, all this sort of wisdom uh, that are are willing to provide that to you. And I think I would, would, you know, I would set up as many of those opportunities as I can to find out really what it is you want to do. and, 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 And yes, stay hungry. Stay hungry because if you love what you do, you will.
0: Just to ask, too, you went. You said you went. You worked overseas. Whereabouts were you? Uh, based?
1: So I found myself in London, and it was at a really opportunistic time. It was 1998. Um, we were coming up to Y2K, mm. and um, again, I'd heard all about, you know, the jobs that were on offer because there was this, you know, jobs bonanza around, uh, and these concerns around what we call Y2K, where there was this belief that the world would. would would literally implode because of technology in the year 2000 just wouldn't be able to cope with with rolling over to a new century sounds farcical right. now but at the time yeah. let me tell you so again i just i guess uh i saw opportunities to 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 be able to evolve to change to to move to a new country i wanted to travel as much as i wanted to build my career i very much did that i i i took a leap of faith connected with people i knew there uh i staged the next chapter of my life you know I. Uh, they were the best times of my life, both from a career perspective. Um, I entered the investment banking world. So I moved out of chartered accounting. Um, I, I got a role in an investment bank at a time when investment banking was just booming. And I rode that tide really, really strongly. It was a it was a fantastic time to be there. It fitted and I saw sought opportunities because opportunities were everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a great place to be at the time. And there'll be always opportunities. I think that's it. I think you've got to, Set yourself and see where those opportunities are. And then again, stage that next chapter about, about going and getting it. And, uh, you know, it won't come to you. Um, you've got to go out and, and be bold enough to, 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 to go after it. And, um, and uh, yeah, the rewards were huge. And, and um, you know, I still have very fond memories of that experience. Having international experience didn't do me any harm coming back to Australia and wanting to uh, rebuild my career here.
0: It's interesting. I think you said something about tides or waves just now with re- being like an opportunity. My my father told me something when I was probably 11 years old that I didn't understand. He told me again years later. And a year ago, he said it to me when COVID first hit where he said that you don't have to ride every wave to the shore. And that I've, I've sort of tried to keep that with me as much as possible. It sort of draws back to things you're saying now is like, opportunities will come up and it's okay to ride them for as long as you want, but it's also okay to, if there's another opportunity that comes up, it's like sliding doors. You can take the opportunities that you feel are the right thing.
1: No, that's absolutely true. I mean, um, yeah, we, we, I, with with coaching younger people, mentees, I I call it navigation. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it's about navigating which one to jump on and which one not to, you know, a good surf, uh, a good board rider sort of knows which wave he's going to choose. Right. And if he chooses a bad wave, he gets a bad score. I mean, it can happen, but you get up again, you go out again and you search for the next one. Right. So I think, yeah, you don't catch everyone um, and um, you've just got to peel yourself off and um, but you won't get the great ride, you know, if you're not out there, you know, I think that's probably another one I would just say is that if you don't put yourself into a position where you're going to get that ultimate ride or that wave or that opportunity, let's in, 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 in this context, um, you know, it won't happen. So I think, I think that's, that's, that's important. But stage each one, I think, um, you know, have a plan um, and, um, you know, things will t- tend to be statistically work out much better for you and um, opportunities will come. That, 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 that right wave will come and you'll, you'll, you'll click. Probably how it sort of worked for me in the sense of coming back here and finding the asset class that I've always felt I loved. You know, I've worked right across investment management in, in different uh, asset classes and sectors. And, um, you know, I needed to stage, I needed to reskill myself when I came back to Australia. It was a huge learning curve. It was a very different market here. Um, and again, I was, felt like, um, you know, I was back to no, nowhere. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd certainly come back a, a peg or two. Right. Uh, it wasn't all gravy coming home. Um, it, was, it was a very different life and it was a very different marketplace. And, and whatever I did overseas kind of helped, but people didn't see it as like um, as positive as I might have thought it would be. And so it was a stepping stone into something else, and uh, you know, but but the, the underlying um, belief that you know wanted to find the thing or be in an asset class that that I really really enjoyed, uh, which is real estate. I've always had a, had it in my blood. Um, grew up on the Gold Coast in the boom bust eras, and uh, saw a lot of people make a lot of money, a lot of people lose a lot of money. So I think it's very important to me, uh, and and including family and friends that lost a lot of money. So it was also important to me to sort of be with a with a firm with a business that puts you know uh, investor risk at at the, at the heart of 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 their you know concerns and what they do um, and so all those things needed to match up but you know when i started having the conversation about going to work there it was it was very much again going back to it it was i had to go out there and make that network connection start to to have people believe that i was the right person to come across into that business and then after a you know many conversations um, you know they couldn't. Well, I couldn't say couldn't say no to me, but they they could see that I, I had um the right attributes to be somebody who 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 would do well in their in their business.
0: Something I've sort of noticed in a bit of a pattern with some of the people I've spoken to so far. Did you ever feel? Have you felt like you've always worked with a chip on your shoulder, and that sort of helped you in the long run with your your uh, career?
1: I never really felt the chip on my shoulder. I've, mm. I've, or. I probably felt, you know, what am I doing this for? Sometimes I've questioned myself um, how nice it would be just to have this smooth, easy ride, staying in the same job, doing what you do really, really well. Kind of, again, it's, it's a bit like without the, if you don't, I guess if you don't invest in the, if you don't have the risk, you don't get the reward in many ways. And it's an old cliche, but, but without, you know, every new thing has challenges. Right. And, today moreover we have to have we talk about children being resilient right Mm -hmm. because the world is is changing so much it's not like what once was expectations have got to be that you're going to change jobs a lot you're going to come up against different people with different attitudes and and the more you move and the more you're resilient to that move the better human you become the the more you're ready to 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 face challenges and and beat them so i probably say to myself that's exactly what was happening at the time and um that it was a bit snakes and ladders. You know, you're going up the, the ladder, and then you, you know, you're sort of going going up and up, and then all of a sudden you fall back a little bit. That's yeah. life. That's how it is. And then eventually you you'll play and you'll 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 thrive. But when you get into that position, you've had all of these, you know, hits that that make you the person you are when you get to a certain point in your in your career. You also become much better coach, father, person because you've you've actually had a, um, some experience. You know, mm. <laughs> you've. Um, you know, you, you you've dusted yourself off. You've had experiences. You've 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 felt the pain, and yeah. I and I and I think that that's what makes you you better as an all rounder. That's what I would say to younger people. You're going to have, um, you know, you're going to you're going to take hits. You're going to have um, knockbacks. Every great person that talks about their 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 I guess their success talks about their failings, and um, you know, failure wasn't necessarily that you weren't good at things. Sometimes people just don't want you in that role or that role is already full uh, or, you know, people merge and it's out of your um, completely, you know, out of, out of, out of, you know, your ability to be able to make any changes or, you know, um, and, and so you've got to move on and you've got to move quickly. And again, I I, I was watching, you know, Steve jobs comment about the best thing that had happened him with the, at 30 years of age, he was sacked from the company that he, that he actually founded, um, yeah. but he had that unwielding self-belief that, that he could do something else and there was a better purpose for him. He then went on to have huge success in something else, but again, he followed the basic principles of, you know, self-belief and and he was a creative, he wasn't a business person. Went on to to, to build Pixar into one of the greatest animation studios in the world, mm. of which Apple then bought and he became CEO of Apple again, you know, some eight to 10 years later. So it's, it's an interesting story, but much the same way you're gonna have you know, similar uh, sort of falls and, Um, to get to get to an end result
0: last thing we're going to cover too scott was investing just as in a whole and i haven't been yet to figure out a great thing to say to my friends that i can say like hey this is why you should invest and that's sort of something i'm I'm trying to get all the guests to say because then i can sort of regurgitate it to my friends to want them to think about investing for me when covid hit i think i had $1000 in my name and if it wasn't for my fam my like my mom and dad letting me stay with them when covid hit i probably don't know where i'd be right now and that put me on this journey of i don't want to be addicted to building my wealth all the time and it becomes an unhealthy thing i just want to focus on the pursuit of not having to worry about money in the future and Investing your money is a good way of sort of going about that. So, I just wondered, like, what why do you think investing for young people is an important consideration to have?
1: Oh, I think we, I mean, we talk about health. Um, and I think financial health is, is probably not talked about enough
0: mm-hmm.
1: because I think a lot of mental health issues relate to financial health, right? Um, so, um, being uh, having good financial health uh, is absolutely critical, and it starts early. The earlier you start, uh, the more financial health, you know, call it wealth, financial wealth, you, you can have. Um, we all want to live a good life. We all want to be able to get the, the things we need um, for us to actually achieve the objectives that we want. Um, mm. You know, going back to what I started this, you know, when I when I first started this this podcast, I talked about making sure you had your your staged your chapters in your life but you have to think about work finances in terms of all the things you want out of your life I definitely as a 24 year old that's what I was thinking about you know I was thinking that career was going to give me financial wealth it was going to effectively help me achieve all my goals which was you know have a family to be able to you know live a good life you know um, not necessarily you know beyond you know a certain wealth I just wanted Mm. to be able to know be fluid be able to have holidays and this and that so i think starting early is important being inquisitive is really 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 important Um, back yourself i think today you know 24 year olds young people today should be investing in themselves Mm -hmm. Um, and i think it's the best way for you to understand an investment is is yourself if it's a small business i think there's never been better time to to throw away the the textbook and and get down into it and start your own company start your own business um, that's got to be your best asset, to be honest. Um, there's investing in, like, with us. Once we, you know, through superannuation, or you know, once you've made a lot of money. But you know, we we often see people that come to us after they've made a lot of money, uh, doing whatever it is they've they've, I suppose, creatively discovered, um, and they've invested in themselves, and now they have mm-hmm. a lot of money, a lot of wealth, and they want to be to be very defensive about where they they invest that wealth, um, and so. Oh, I think if the younger you are, the, the, the greater opportunities, I think there are for you to take those risks while you're young and don't have other, um, uh, other things to tie you down. I think um, you know, that, that would be kind of what, what my advice would be to, to, to my younger kids anyway, to, to be giving that a, a go, but investing in yourself. Um, careers aren't forever. It's important to have, you know, I guess, that, that baseline opportunity where if you are looking for a salaried role, that you have the prerequisite skill sets and networking, et cetera, to facilitate and function that. That's one way about going. Um, but I would, you know, I would also consider that investing in yourself is probably a very wise thing to do. Um yeah, beautiful. Again, I think I think stay stay positive. I think, you know, it's uh it's a great time. It always, there always, there always are. I think um technology is, you know, as as when I was, you know, looking around when I was 24, I wanted to kind of be uh contemporary, look at things, you know, what was the next. You know, great investors, great people in this space, are quite often uh, have been able to look at the past but see where the future is going to be. So I think you know, align yourself to where the growth industries are, uh, and um, yeah, take a take a staged view at, at what you want to do, and and um, don't be afraid to take a, a bit of risk, and you get a lot of a lot of reward. Beautiful.
0: Thank you again, Scott. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. I learned a lot out of this. It was great.
1: Thanks, Damien. All the best.